Hey there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the JKWD podcast where Kelvin is holding up his mug to show that he was not trying to take a sip when I started talking. <laughs> um, our guest today is Valerie Groth, who just a couple of weeks ago opened a school in Chicago. Yeah, you heard that. She opened a school in Chicago, and uh, we talk about why and what it takes to do that and all that stuff. Um, but before we get into that conversation and how we met her and all that stuff, um, Kelvin, what's going on, man? How you doing? Hey, life is wonderful. I'm having a great time. I'm in good health. I've been waking up early. I don't know what that's all about when I go to bed at 4 or 5 or 6 o'clock in the morning. But, hey, life's good. My body hasn't, uh, you know, we're, we're just having a good time. And, hey, I got to talk to you first thing in the morning. Ooh. So that was like, uh, man. And then this podcast was awesome and energizing, so I enjoyed that. Yeah. So, yeah, so life is good. I got nothing right. to complain about. So Valerie comes to us from our friend Heath Armstrong. You remember him from uh, Rage Create? You know, we were talking to Valerie off the air, and she said she met Heath sort of through, I mean, they became aware of each other through the World Domination Summit, uh, which is Chris Gilbo's uh, deal in the Pacific Northwest every year. And she spoke one year about the Ryan Banks Academy, which is a school that she just opened. And Heath became a big supporter of hers and uh, they finally met this year at a fundraiser uh, with the comedian Jeff Garland, but you know, they, they kept up a, yeah, at least a communication uh, friendship and uh, every, and a percentage of, of the sale of every decade of um, Heath's cards there, Heath, uh, um, yeah, he's got the card sets he was talking about. A uh, percentage of those cards goes goes straight to the Ryan Banks Academy. So so that's awesome. Uh, we have a couple of guests who are connected like that. We are brought to you today, as always, by Audible. AudibleTrial.com slash JKWD for your free audiobook, your free month at Audible. And uh, you can text JKWD to 500-500 and they will send you the link. And yeah. Put in some music right here, maybe, and uh, the other side of this, you'll hear us and Valerie. Valerie, welcome to the JKWD podcast. Before we um, before we make fools of ourselves, how, how do we say your last name, Valerie? Growth. Growth. Okay. I definitely yeah. would have. I definitely would have said Groth. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone does for whatever reason. No worries. You can call me whatever you want. Um, Sometimes we use awesome. Is awesome good? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you for being here. You come to us by our friend Heath Arm Heath Armstrong, and how, how do you and how do you and Heath know each other? Oh gosh, well, 
I went to the World Domination Summit Conference. Okay. Um, How many years ago was that? I don't even know. Uh, 2014, maybe. And uh, that was my first time there. And I thought, you know, they they had a scholarship program. And I thought I want to be on stage next year and win the scholarship. So I applied with my idea for Ryan Banks Academy. And by then I had just started. And I won. So I went back the next year and I was speaking on stage at the conference and he saw me. And truthfully, we never met at the conference. He just saw me on stage and kind of reached out and we kept in touch. And he's been an awesome supporter. Um, His rage to create cards, Mm -hmm. um, 10% of the proceeds go back to RBA, which is awesome. Uh, But I never even met him until this past March. one of our supporters is the actor Jeff Garland and uh, or the comedian, I should say, and we had an event with him in LA. And so he flew out to meet me there in LA for the event, which was awesome. Um, so I hadn't even really met him for the first three years of our friendship, essentially. Wow. Um, awesome. Yeah, but he's, yeah, he's, he's fantastic. Yeah, just one of my favorite people. Awesome. Hopefully I can live up to half of the hype that he brought. Um. We're easy to please. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. The bar is low. Great. <laughs> you just opened a school in Chicago. Um, t- tell us about that and then tell us yeah. why. Yeah. So uh, I guess first I'll tell you the backstory okay. and how it all started. So I worked as a school social worker here in Chicago, um, worked in the inner city schools on the south side for a long time. And I really loved it, uh, but I worked with a lot of kids who had challenges outside of school. So homelessness, poverty, violence, um, abuse, neglect. And I saw that most of my kids were not going to make it. Um, not, you know, one kid here or there, but the vast majority, like hundreds of kids at every school weren't were going to fall through the cracks. Um, simply because there were so many things happening outside of school um, that got in the way. So I had an idea. Um, I thought, what if we had a boarding school to provide these kids with a great education in a wraparound setting? And uh, honestly, for the first probably seven years, I just thought this is crazy and huge and I don't know how the hell to build a school. So I didn't do anything with it. And then through a series of events, happy to dive into further if you're curious. Um, Four years ago, I quit that job with the intention of building a boarding school. Uh, and so we don't have a boarding school yet. That's kind of phase two of the vision, but we wanted to launch as phase one with a day school, just a traditional school while we kind of get ready for the building um, of the boarding school. And that first part opened last Tuesday, which is pretty cool because, you know, I've been used to doing interviews and talking about how this is our exciting dream and everyone's been, you know, um, on board with that, but it's been this abstract concept and to actually be talking to you in a school is pretty wild. Well, congratulations. So I guess the next obvious question is how, how the hell do you build a school? <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, well, and, and like, how do you even answer that question? Um, you know, you do this, this, and this, and then you're done. Um, <laughs> you know, so, I like that. <laughs> Could you I wish. just a little more? <laughs> yeah, well, that was actually kind of what, what held me back for so long as the how of it. Like, how do you do that? And my second master's degree was in educational leadership. So I went to school to be a principal. And even in that training, like they don't teach you how to build a school, let alone 
how to build a boarding school. And so it just seemed way too big and way too impossible. And kind of the impossibility and not knowing the how of it was just what, what kept me not doing anything about it. And so how this really got started is four years ago, I did a conference that I was telling you guys about offline. And there was a speaker at the conference named Michael Hyatt. And Michael talked to an actuary before the event. And the actuary told him that out of the audience of about a thousand people, according to the odds, one of us would die in 30 days. And that was the moment that hit me for whatever reason. And there are people in the audience that don't remember that moment at all. But for whatever reason, for me, that was kind of like the brick wall moment. Like I realized, oh my God, this is really serious. I can't keep going and wait for someone else to take this on. It has to be me. And I think what happened in that moment, for, for some reason, I realized that because this was so big and so just like grandiose, and envision that no one knew what to do. So I have been getting really stuck thinking, how do I do this and not knowing the answer? And I realized, you know what? The, the mayor of Chicago wouldn't know how to do it either, right? The president wouldn't know what to do. Oprah wouldn't know what to do. There is no guidebook. And so all those, all those people could do is just simply commit to figuring it out and to find the right people and the right resources to help. So it was kind of this interesting like mindset shift of, oh my God, this is so freaking big. It's, it's impossible to actually, because it's so big, that actually kind of makes it more doable. And because no one has the guidebook um, aside from me, like, or I guess in addition to me, it kind of even the playing field and made me realize, that, you know, why not me? So I'm not sure if that makes any sense, but for me, that was just kind of this big paradigm shift that, that made me decide, Hey, why not? Seriously. So what was your first step in that? I mean, was it, you know, like, okay, mm-hmm. what was the first thing you did? Mm-hmm. I posted on Facebook um, and through actually being at that conference, one of the Facebook groups to that conference, I met someone who was in Chicago who said, oh, I, you know, I saw you posting. I'm in Chicago. Let's go talk about it. And at that time, again, I didn't know absolutely nothing, I, nothing about what to do next. Um, and I was clueless about how to build a nonprofit, about, you know, do I need to get a board? How do I fundraise? Do I need to fundraise? Is there just money given to me? I mean, I had no freaking clue. So I met with this guy and he said, this is amazing. I want to be on your board. So that was the big first step was I realized, okay, I have to have a board. I didn't know that. Um, <laughs> no one had taught me that. So uh, that was, that was a, big, a, a big step was to realize, okay, the first step is to build a team. And so building a board, getting a volunteer base, um, and kind of from there, I realized that this is only going to happen if I have a ton of people around me. And so learning the importance of going to meetings and meeting new people. And when I left my job, I had worked in a school. Um, I had started a coaching practice and I had a podcast. So I had a little bit of a network from that. But for the most part, the people that I knew were all other teachers and principals and counselors. So I had nobody at my network outside of the school system. Um, but I slowly kind of learned the power of just meeting people and how that person leads to this person leads to that person. And then, the, you know, the seventh person, person down the road changes everything. 
so I just started slowly learning the power of, of just connections. And it was kind of like this spider web that in some way just led to where we are now. And it's hard to articulate because there were just tens of thousands of things that kind of had to happen to get here. Um, but that was, that was the majority of, of what allowed us to get here, I think, and just in summary, is just meeting as many people as possible um, and learning as much as I could from different people, um, getting people involved as volunteers on the board, as mentors, um, getting them to make connections. And I just slowly just started to just soak up as much knowledge as I could. And that was the only way we were able to do this, I think, is just by having truly, uh, you know, well over a thousand conversations in the last four years. Well, um, now, did you wind up building a new building? Did you buy a building? Or are you kind of doing something in between? Yeah, so right now we're starting really small. We have a tiny class, which was kind of intentional. We wanted to start small. And then so we're renting space from a church. Um, okay. It's an awesome space for us. Um, and then we're working on construction of a new campus. So hopefully down the road in the next couple of years, we will have a new building for the boarding. Cool. Great. And your first class that I see is about eight students. And that's correct. Yeah. Um, how how did you decide who who was going to who those students were going to be? Well, uh, we had a lot of students apply. We had more than eight apply. Um, but a, a, one of the bigger challenges for us this year was transportation. So a lot of our kids are applying from all over the city all over the south side, um, but you know, they often don't have access to cars or it's not a safe neighborhood to be commuting through um, on foot when you're a kid. So, you know, we were kind of limited to students who were living in the area, um, but we wanted students who, you know, didn't have the ability um, to go to a better school in their neighborhood. So we're a private school, but we're still totally tuition free, which is pretty unique. Um, so looking at kids who, you know, you know, just couldn't afford a better option, um, and we're looking for something better in their neighborhood. Uh, the school has interesting because the the idea for this, as I said at the beginning, kind of came from kids who are going through a lot of trauma. So we do have students who have gone through poverty, homelessness, um, and and there are a lot of students in Chicago who have a lot of challenges in their home environment. Uh, maybe don't have safe homes to go home to for whatever reason. Um, but we, we also work with a lot of really incredible families. So the families who, uh, whose students go to our school right now um, are really fantastic, really involved. They're just looking for a better option for their kids. Awesome. Now, somehow we've managed to go 10 minutes without mentioning the name of the school is the Ryan Banks Academy. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, who is Ryan Banks and why name the school after him? Yeah, Ryan was a former student of mine. Um, he was a 12-year-old student who unfortunately was shot and killed um, back in 2012. So I had the idea for the school uh, long before then, but it was just kind of this idea. And again, didn't know what to do with it. And Ryan's death um, it was a little bit of a catalyst. And I didn't take action right away, but that was kind of the, the moment where I realized, okay, enough is enough. Um, and he was a really awesome kid. He had a really tough life and, you know, he had a lot of reasons to be upset. Um, but he was just one of the happiest people I've ever met and definitely someone who 
would have made the world a better place. And Ryan would be 19 this year. I know he'd be in college um, doing awesome things and smiling wherever he goes. And it's just, it's a loss, you know, that we lose so many kids. And Ryan was really close to me um, and very special to me. But this happens all the time. Um, And truthfully, I lost another former student about a week and a half ago, a day before the school opened, that I got the news and searched for it online to learn more. And there was there was nothing about it. it was, I mean, it, it wasn't a mention of him um, being killed whatsoever because it happens so often in Chicago. It's just something that people are accustomed to and doesn't even make the news, which I think is pretty tragic. Yeah, some of the statistics I've seen out of there, and I'm in news for, for a day job, um, it's just, it, it's hard. It's gotta be hard. Um, yeah. So I'm guessing that a lot of our listeners do not know what the life of a school social worker is. Um, Mm -hmm. So when, can you just, uh, I I know it's, I I know it's it's bigger than a quick summary, but can you um, tell us a little bit about what a school social worker does and why it would be so unusual for a 12 year old Mm -hmm. to um, in those circumstances to, to come in happy and positive? Um, and you know, hence mm-hmm. why you would you know keep his memory with this. Yeah, um, you know, these kids living in poverty, like the students who I've worked with, it, when your basic needs are being met, it's really challenging to go to school and focus. Um, so I worked with a lot of students who are chronically homeless. And it's really hard to count the homeless population in Chicago because it's a very transient uh, group anyway, right? They're always moving around, um, not in one place. Um, so the, there's, a, there's kind of a wide range of the estimate, um, but it's between 25,000 to 80,000 homeless youth in Chicago every year, which is a pretty massive number. Yeah, and there's around 400,000 kids in this school system. So, I mean, you know, if it's 80,000, that's a pretty large chunk of those kids. Yeah. So that's a real issue. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the reason why um, I think myself and kind of the the friends in my peer group, the biggest reason why we are where we are today in terms of like have a home that we love, have work that we love, um, are in happy relationships is because we had a lot of those things that we take for granted that, my students didn't have growing up in terms of having a safe home to go home to, having your basic needs being covered, um, living in a safe neighborhood, living in a community um, where it's expected that you go to college and where there, there are resources to allow you to do that. Um, and, you know, what I think about as kind of an analogy is when I was a little kid, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, for whatever reason, I wanted to kind of invent, invent things and do new things and change the world in some way. I never wanted to kind of go down that traditional path, um, but I didn't know anyone who was an entrepreneur. So my parents were were great. Um, they were highly educated. All of my friends parents went to college, but I didn't know any entrepreneurs. And so it was just kind of a given to me that I would go to college. And I didn't find my way back into kind of the entrepreneur world until much later as an adult. And I think that's fully because I just didn't know anyone who had done that. And it wasn't until with the internet and, you know, the ability to meet those people in different ways 
was I able to actually envision that life for myself? So if that was a limiting factor for me is just not knowing an entrepreneur and considering that I had a lot of other things going for me, I had a great family, a great education, um, you know, a great support system. You know, I think it helps us to kind of understand what it's like to be a kid living in poverty when you don't know anyone who has gotten out of that world. Um, when you don't know anyone who has gone to college and when all you know is a neighborhood. And a lot of my students live only a few miles from downtown Chicago where I live and have never been here. And it's just a totally different world. And Chicago is a very hyper-segregated city. And it's, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's very different kind of where I live, um, looking over the lake um, by the museum and the part of town that's really kept up and beautified and a lot of money is put into it versus living on the south side and you know the funds aren't there to beautify the neighborhood um and you're walking by broken down houses and by gang members and it's not safe to walk to school and so when you're a kid who's trauma exposed on a regular basis it's really tough to go to school and learn and i worked with kids going through really severe trauma so not just being homeless they're not having food on the table um but kids who were you know, suicidal because things were so tough at home that they wanted to go to the psych hospital because it was a safer and more loving environment than being at home. Or, you know, kids who witnessed a homicide in their living room the night before and they go to school the next day. And if something like that happened to any of us, you know, we have a lot of coping skills that we would still have to put life on hold and, you know, go to therapy and kind of like things would all shift. Um, and these are kids who don't have the resources, don't have the coping skills, don't have the support. Um, and and they're, they're kids, right? And we expect them to go through this war zone and to go to school the next day. And the, the environment where I was working, the support for those kids was just not there. So when I was the social worker, I had almost a thousand kids or more on my caseload. Um, so it's, it's, it's just impossible to service those kids who are trauma exposed. And um, yeah, I can keep going on and on, but hopefully that kind of gives you an idea of, of what it's like. So, I mean, if you have a thousand kids in your caseload and uh, there are 180 school days in a year in most districts, then, I mean, that would give you like 20 minutes a year with a, with a student. The fact that you actually yeah. get a chance to uh, know one of your students um, is, mm -hmm. is incredible. Um, so when you see somebody coming out, of, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to applaud you on the quick math there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> He's, uh, he's an analytical. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, he actually has a chip in his brain. Oh yeah, that explains it. <laughs> yeah, that comes from that comes from, a, it comes from memorizing batting averages as a kid, I think. Ah, uh, gotcha. <laughs> One of those. Also, Yeah. Um, so, when you see a when you get a, a Ryan. Um, when you get a positive kid uh, coming out of there, and I, I guess this is a good place to start kind of transitioning the conversation because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm more of a, I'm more of a fat guy and Kelvin's more of a mindset guy. Um, you know, there's gotta be something different in Ryan that he, he must've come to you with, with some, some mindset that you picked up on um, and uh, made, made an impact on you uh, 
Can you speak to that at all? Well, the reason why I worked with Brian closely um, and, and not the 20 minutes per kid per year, as you mentioned, is I was working with the kids who uh, either were on my caseload or the students who uh, had had trauma and, and crises happening. So Brian was on my caseload um, because, you know, he just simply um, had a tough time focusing in school. So he, he wasn't a bad kid, um, but he had a hard time with kind of ADHD. So he was on my kind of, you know, technical caseload per se. So there are students that I was supposed to serve who had different academic or social emotional challenges. Um, but the majority of my work was not even with those kids. It was with the kids who were going through crises. So um, like I mentioned, a child who witnessed a homicide or uh, a child who was suicidal or, uh, you know, situations that were life-threatening like that. So I, I did work with Ryan, Ryan very closely, but not even as closely as I would have liked to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, truthfully, and this is something I've never said out loud, but it's always kind of haunted me, is that even before he was killed, it was a time where I didn't see him as often as I, I normally did because there were so many other crises that had happened um, kind of within the last month or two before then. So because Ryan was, you know, more high functioning and a happy kid who didn't have those kind of immediate life-threatening situations happening in that moment, um, my, my time was pulled in other directions towards the kids who did. Um, I always just kind of felt terrible about that. And I know, you know, there's something that I could have done to prevent it. Um, he was, when he was killed, he was playing with his younger brother in front of his house. So he wasn't involved in gang activity. Um, he was just kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, but it was, it always just kind of was heartbreaking to me to know that I didn't get to spend as much time with him as I would have wanted to during his last time here, um, because I was pulled in another direction. I would think that with that many kids in trauma, it's, it's kind of hard to get to spend any, uh, a lot of quality one-on-one -on -one time with, the, with them. Um, speaking yeah. to mindset. You seem to me to be a very positive, emotive person. Um, in the midst of that environment, how do you maintain an attitude that keeps you moving in a positive, mm -hmm. let me help these people direction? Mm, good question. Um, I think there's a few things that come up. When I first started to work in that setting, one thing that I did was I immediately stopped watching the news or anything negative. Um, so I used to be really into politics and watching the news and reading the paper. And I, I realized very quickly that in that setting during the day, I was faced with a lot of real life, really negative, tough things. And so I just gravitated towards like only funny movies, only funny things on TV um, and was very purposeful about that. And I haven't gone back to that. I'm no longer working with kids directly, but I still kind of maintain that media, mainstream media diet, um, which I think is, is, is pretty impactful. Um, I was reading a study a while back and I'm going to butcher the numbers, but even watching three minutes of the news 
on like a Monday will impact you and your mood negatively by the end of the week, which I think is pretty remarkable. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was one thing that I did. It was just trying to be really purposeful about that. Um, I took care of myself where I tried to always prioritize like getting into exercise, which I think is really important um, and time for myself. But it was really, really hard and it's hard to disconnect, um, especially I think a lot of people kind of in the mental health world are kind of have this high level of empathy, which helps you to relate to your clients, but uh, can really suck you in and drain you. Um, And there's a lot of kind of vicarious trauma or compassion fatigue that happens in that population. So, you know, the truth is, the answer to that question is there were things that I did to to stay in a good mindset during that time. But in the end, I left um, because I was so frustrated and I left to build the school. But I think at some point, if that hadn't been the direction that I took, I don't know that I could have stayed in that environment because it was, it was very challenging. Um, and I always kind of feel like people who go into that work really have the heart for it and the passion. Um, and in that setting, I had, I had just kind of seen these two paths that either over time you maintain that passion and the heart for it. And it just kind of wears you down personally, mm-hmm. or you become lackadaisical and empathetic and you can stay and do that work forever, but you just kind of lose the passion for it. And I knew I was always someone who was going to have the passion. And so it, you know, I knew eventually it would start to wear me down. And I think, the unfortunate reality is, is it's rare to impossible to find a lifer in that setting because, it, you know, if you're doing a good job, you're just so in it that you do take it home with you and that it will start to wear down your health and your mental health and your relationships start to suffer. Um, so it's really tough. And I think that we should do more for people in that setting, like, you know, having you know, more people on, on hand, so you don't have a thousand kids in their caseload. Um, but yeah, the answer, honestly, was just eventually that I had to realize that wasn't the best setting for me to make a difference. But if I wanted to do more, I had to leave and to create something new. Awesome. That's, that's good. Purpose, they say, has power, right? So um, once you found your purpose, you have some, some extra energy and stuff. I, I turned off the news in 1989. And, and and I forgot. Oh. That. Um, <laughs> Good for you. I turned it. So I've been a happy guy, you know. You're an early adopter, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but you know, um, you you, I haven't met anybody who can stay in that environment and, and stay mm-hmm. a, a mindset. So I mean, you just need a refresher mm-hmm. for a while. So you found yours, and then. And then you transformed all of that into a specific purpose to make it better, which makes things more mm-hmm. durable, it sounds. Um, and you're making and you're making progress. So that's that's very energizing. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Tell So. So yeah. how how did it feel? Yeah, I'm one of those feeling people <laughs> when you when you launched your your program when you're, when you finally got, even though, you know, you've got eight students there, how did it feel Uh, when you launched that? You know, it's still very surreal. It's been a whole week and I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. It's, it's amazing. Um, it, it, it's, it's just a really cool, very fulfilling feeling. Um, it's, 
it's my birthday later this week and I've been telling my family like I don't want to do anything like I feel like I just feel so spoiled like I feel like this has been the best present that I could have gotten I just I can't imagine like I, it is not and not that the, the school opened for my benefit but right. like I just feel so good and so yeah I, it, it's an awesome awesome feeling and we have a long way to go to get to the next level and the, the rest of our milestones but yeah it's 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 very surreal. It's very surreal. And there have been a lot of days where I didn't know if it would happen. And I persisted and I knew that I would keep going until it happened. But there were definitely times where it felt like this is, this is, this is a crazy endeavor. What am I doing with my time? Um, and it makes it all worthwhile. Yeah, I can't, you know, we're in Syracuse and a lot of people think Syracuse is, is bad, but I can't imagine, um, doing what you're doing in a place like Chicago where the odds would seem to be so overwhelming. So that's got to be uh, an, an awesome feeling for you. So, so what, um, what's next? What's, what's your next um, hurdle to, to jump over your next uh, mm-hmm. phase of your dream to build? Yeah. Well, we have a lot of rate money to raise. So we've, we've done good so far, but to expand uh, and to grow and to reach that next level of the vision, we have a lot of fundraising to do. Mm-hmm. Um, the the short story. Oh gosh. I mean, we need to raise uh, millions in general. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Many millions. We, we started this in Calling a, in a <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, well, and if anyone's listening and wants to, to get involved, we've got lots of ways that we are always accepting donations um, on the website. We have a GoFundMe. Um, we, we started this during a crazy time where it was really tough to build um, a public school in Chicago. And our, our state here in Illinois, uh, there were three years where we are our governor didn't sign the budget. So we didn't have a budget for three years. So it's been a really interesting and challenging time because there haven't been a lot of traditional funding sources that would have otherwise been available for us. So we've been forced to do this kind of through philanthropic donations and through individuals and corporations, um, but mostly individuals in a way that, you know, doing this like in, in New York, for example, would have been a lot easier in many ways. So definitely fundraising is, is the biggest challenge. All right. And what's the, well, I mean, I know this will still iterate if you will, but uh, what's the current mm-hmm. vision for the boarding school? Uh, when are you hoping to open? How many students are you hoping to have? Are you going to yeah. have everybody boarding or like a day school slash boarding school for those who need it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're hoping in the next two years, um, and all of our students who are day school now really want to be a part of the boarding aspect. So uh, we want to be full-time boarding, and our goal is 250 kids at max capacity. And our big goal is actually not to stop at one school. We are thinking even bigger, and we actually hope to have at least a dozen of these schools in Chicago alone. And, and actually there has been some interest in going outside of Chicago, but Chicago for now is focused and the need here is, is, is definitely there. Awesome. What, what kind of, um, what kind of, I don't want to say government interference, what kind of uh, 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 
politically or, or policy wise, what kind of things do you have to overcome to be able to put this together? Um, uh, mm-hmm. Policy or rules or, yeah. you know, all the, gov- the red tape stuff. Well, yeah, a lot of things kind of like I mentioned, it would be great if we could access city funding or state funding, but um, our school system has had a real financial uh, challenge. So the the current bond that our system is paying off, um, including the interest, um, within the next couple of years, it's going to be worth $1.5 billion that they're in debt. Oh. So that's pretty pretty substantial. <laughs> I mean, um, that's got to be like the debt for some countries, right? So sure. the the city uh, is is not, you know, is just having a lot of challenges um, because our state has had a lot of budget crises as, as well. That's been really tough. So there are some things that we're trying to do to work and lobby and uh, advocate at those levels. But um, Illinois has just been, you know, a, a state with a lot of um, a lot of tough things happening recently. So. We haven't let that stop us. We continue to, and I'm glad that we were able to pull it off despite that. Um, but that's definitely been a big hurdle that in some places, um, it's just it's a fairly straightforward process. You apply for a charter, you get the charter, you open a school, um, and it's been a lot more challenging here. I mean, do they also kind of nickel and dime you on license fees and uh, building taxes? I know you're a nonprofit. Um, Mm-hmm. A lot of times that doesn't matter. <laughs> well, there's there's a million different things that you have you have to pay for and think about that I wouldn't have realized. Um, you know, just there's and it's interesting because building a school and building a boarding school in particular, it's kind of like every possible industry. So like there's architecture and there's PR and there's curriculum and there's um you know, getting permits from the city and there's the taxes and there's the HR and it's just a million different things in all different industries and categories. So it's an interesting for me, uh, not having those backgrounds at all, trying to learn about how all those things fit together and you don't know what you don't know too. So just kind of learning as you go. Um, and there's been probably a million different things like that that have come up. Yeah, and that's going to be something that's going to be hard when you're going to move out of Chicago, too. Because I know, um, you, you know, where where Kelvin is in Onondaga County, there are 55 different taxing agencies. Um, and where I am in wow. Chatham, and where I am in Chatham County, um, it really depends on what neighborhood you're building in, who you have to go to for mm-hmm. permits and what's allowed, um, because, you know, 40 percent of the land is unincorporated county and. Uh, mm. there, are, there are historical districts within the city and um, uh, stuff. So I'm sure that Chicago has very different challenges than that, too. And if you go to reach out, you can't even use the Chicago model because you've got so much other different stuff mm-hmm. to deal with. It, Kelvin, unless you've got some other and Ryan Banks Academy related questions, I, I want to move off this and get into um, a little bit of the, uh, if, you'll, if you'll call it the self-care side or whatever. You said that when you turned mm-hmm. off news, you started going to funny movies, funny TV, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what were some of your pick-me-ups and what are some of your pick-me-ups? What do you, what do you, um, mm-hmm. 
what do you relax with these days? Oh, yeah. Um, I am very lucky. I live right by Lake Michigan. Mm-hmm. So my favorite thing to do is to go on a walk by the lake. Um, there's a particular area that just like it's like the waves are really big and it kind of like feel like it's around the ocean and I just love going there to reset and it, it's hard like being an entrepreneur and you know if you know um, you're constantly thinking and moving and planning and strategizing so I do things like I go to yoga um, but sometimes it can be hard even like during yoga like your mind can race. Um, but I find that going to the lake is where I can actually turn that off. It's probably the one place. Uh, but yoga and working out is really big. Um, I do meditate. And I am still still learning, I think, how to be patient with myself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been something that I've done for years. And I, I have periods where I feel like, oh, my God, I'm actually doing this, like, quote, right. And it feels good. And then I'm like, oh, my God, I just sat there and just thought for 10 minutes. Um, but knowing that <laughs> that's the whole point is just kind of like the discipline of, of finding the time and, and making the effort. Um, but that definitely helps. I really like the practice of morning pages. Have you heard of that? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So morning pages for the listeners is uh, a practice from, oh, my gosh, I forgot the name of the author. Um. <laughs> I have the book here. Oh, Julia Cameron. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Julia Cameron, who wrote uh, The Artist's Way, which is an awesome book. So basically, morning pages is you are writing three pages of anything first thing in the morning with the idea that the first page or two is just kind of rambling. Like, okay, it's Tuesday morning. I'm tired. Today, I'm going to do this. I'm hungry for this for lunch. And then you run out of the rote mundane stuff and you kind of have to get into like, how are you feeling? And this, and then you start to delve into like, well, I have this anxiety about this meeting. And then you start, to, or like, I guess what I do is I start to kind of talk to myself with like a CBT perspective in mind. Like, well, why am I stressed about it? Well, I'm stressed because I haven't actually prepared for it. Oh, okay. Well, then instead of stressing all day, kind of in the back of my mind, I can actually carve out some time and prepare for it and I'll feel better about it. So I find like it's I find that it's a good way to kind of talk myself down or to debunk the things that are challenging me or that are worrying me. Um, I like that practice a lot. Do you do that before or after meditation? Either. It depends on how awake I feel. Yeah, so I often, I like to meditate first thing and then morning pages, but if I'm too tired to meditate first thing, I'll do morning pages first. Yeah, I like yeah. that. Uh, what do you think? I like that. Uh, I like the brain dump of, of waking up and um, rattling off some morning pages and just getting the dust out. Maybe a little something mm-hmm. to focus some meditation toward. I I used to do that. Yeah. I don't know why. I need to buy a new book. I think I um, now the book you mentioned that she wrote was, was that the artist way because I kind of mm-hmm. yeah correct yeah that, we can put that on the uh, great book put that on the show notes. That's the uh, awesome awesome book. Um, it's a good one. Mm-hmm. But because <laughs> it uh, it gets the junk out before you start your day, so that you know your your other mm-hmm. thoughts can like come to. It's it's amazing how much stuff yeah is just laying around the mind waiting to be swept away so you can get out of there. So yeah, I yeah. found that I've gotten some really good insights to like things that didn't know were bothering me. Um, 
just some great like light bulb moments that have come out of that that I wouldn't have had otherwise. So it's been great. Awesome. Well, that sounds almost perfect. <laughs> so, um, how can how can our how can we support you? How can our listeners support you? Well, thank you for asking. Uh, I would love for the listeners to learn more. Our website is ryanbanksacademy.org. Um, I also wrote a book. I would love for them to check that out. So, um, if you go to Amazon and search under my name or looking for the power of the possible, and there's the book with like a white book with a Chicago flag on it. Um, it's a short read, but I think really powerful. Um, it kind of talks about kind of the stories uh, of, of, of my work and the kids and the families that led to what we're doing today. Um, so I'd love for you to check out the book and learn more. Um, you, if anyone is interested in donating, we would absolutely love your support at any level. Um, you know, we're going after, um, you know, the big bucks uh, in a lot of ways, but we're also doing a really small campaign and we have a $9 challenge. So because we have eight students, we're asking for people to donate $9, so $8 for the students plus one for Ryan Banks. So um, even if, you know, you're not able to give us a million dollars to build our school, we would just love um, even $9 would be fantastic. And that can happen through the website or we also have a GoFundMe, which is GoFundMe.org slash Ryan Banks Academy, I believe. Or it could be GoFundMe.com. I can tell you in a second. It's GoFundMe.com slash Ryan Banks Academy. Great. We'll have links to the um, yeah the the website and the GoFundMe and everything in the show notes too. Oh, that'd be great. Thank you. And let me I'm, I'm on your site, so let me just um, go on here and ask about your general mm-hmm. coaching practice because um, we haven't mentioned that at all. Um, yeah. So that's a. Um, it's a small part of what I do now. So there was a time where I coached full time. Ryan Banks Academy started to take a lot of my time, as you can imagine. Okay. So I definitely um, kind of do RBA full time, and the coaching is just on the side now. Um, right. But I do still work with clients. Um, I have a few that I've worked with for uh, for quite some time now, um, and do occasionally take on new clients. Um, I don't do that very rarely though, but I'm definitely okay. still taking applications. Um, but I love that work. And, you know, I can go on and on about my awesome clients and, and why I love that. But I think it's, for me, it's a great balance of, you know, when I was just coaching full time, um, it was a lot of fun, but I missed the, the, the kind of startup aspect of what I'm doing now and the building mm-hmm. aspect and seeing something go from dream to reality. And so I love that I'm doing kind of both. Um, but if I was just doing the school, as much as I love that work, um, because, you know, it took four years just to open with eight kids, I think I would have been frustrated not seeing progress. Okay. Um, I'm a very kind of result-oriented person. And it's been really amazing for me to work with my clients because I do get to see immediate results. And that's just kind of... Um, just a need that I have is I love to feel like I'm, I'm seeing progress and I can make a difference. And because for the school, it was such a slow, long process. Right. It was, that was one of the biggest things for me that challenged me because I'm not patient. And, you know, I, I don't know if I would have been able to do it without still um, doing some work as a coach. Um, 
because it's, I mean, it takes a lot of discipline to work on something that, you know, is not going to even start to pan out for, for years. I mean, like hundreds of thousands of hours just to see a little bit of progress. And so for me, that was a lot of fun. Um, and the coaching work is gratifying in kind of a different, more immediate way, which is fun. Excellent. Okay. So anything else that, uh, that you wish we had gotten to that we haven't gotten a chance to talk about? Uh, no, you covered a lot of good stuff. Um, yeah, thank you. It was great to be here. Um, if anyone has any questions about our, uh, the Ryan Bakes Academy or the coaching or the book um, or anything else, I'm happy to talk further. Um, my email is Valerie at RyanBanksAcademy.org or Val at ValerieGross.com. Great. Well, thank you so much. Um, you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you so much. You too. Hey, thanks for listening. Show notes and more at jkwdpodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share with your friends, and we will see you next week. Bye! A Better Humanhood Production.